Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingston. Thank you for joining me again for another episode of Recorded Conversations. It seems, based on the downloads, I know that doesn't mean anything, but Jack Coleman's episode from last week was pretty popular, and I really enjoyed all the feedback. So many of you lovely listeners just really had never heard a conversation that was so open-minded, and so shout out to Jack. Thank you again for joining and because the listeners loved you. And I again refer you to go check out Jack Coleman. Remember in the show notes, I left you his website and you can also find him on Facebook. Um, we're going to be picking back up on some of those same conversation topics here in this next episode with my guest, Dr. Sandra Dreisbach. Now, she uh, and I connected on the Twitter and that was because I think we were following some kind of a mutual psychedelic handle uh, that tweeted out information about you know late, the latest psychedelic studies and data and stuff like that. And I had asked a question and she was tagged in it. And so she tries to break down uh, responding to that question here within the podcast. So if you are ready for more psychedelic conversation, you're going to get it. Because we have, again, as I said, Dr. Sandra Dreisbach, and she is a love and worthiness expert who is grounded both in theory and in practice, bridging the gap between ethics at the university, intuitive insight, and real-life ethical decision-making. She received her PhD in philosophy, where her research focused on ethical decision-making and moral psychology. She currently works with both individuals and groups as a private consultant, author, speaker, and healer. Her focus is on helping individuals in both their personal and professional life to love themselves and to live authentically through personal value discovery and decision-making that is in alignment with their values. Sandra is also a lecturer for the University of California, Santa Cruz, in both the philosophy and biomolecular engineering departments, primarily teaching ethics courses. Sandra founded the Ethics Bowl program at the UCSC, as well as coached and trained teams of students in ethics debates and on ethics cases, where students explore their own values and moral positions on current events and discuss cooperatively with each other and in debate competitions that foster discussion of the moral issues. She is also an affiliate of the UCSC Center for Public Philosophy. Sandra also worked for several years in the tech industry in both hardware and software engineering departments working for large companies like Apple as well as small startup companies. She is also one of the founders of Ethical Resolve, an ethics consulting company that works directly with both small and large businesses and is an affiliate consultant for them. In addition, Sandra is a master Reiki practitioner trained in two Reiki lineages. You can follow her on Facebook, Instagram, or you can simply follow her at www.ondemandlove.com. Now, like I said, not only that, but I saw her doing a Facebook video of instructing on how to read tarot cards. And so I get a little reading 
And she was dead on with kind of like the cards that were pulled and explaining to me what the cards meant and it really lining up with just, you know, what I got going on in my life right now. So I appreciated that. But this conversation overall is really fun. The best part of this conversation was that I was able to engage in discussion with another woman and and talk about psychedelics and talk about psychedelic experiences and talk about, you know, what goes on behind the decision-making process of deciding to use LSD or DMT or MDMA or psilocybin. And so I just really appreciated the good nature of this overall conversation um, and her hat tips to pointing us to go do more research and looking into what Native and Indigenous tribes can teach us about plant medicines as well. So get on board. This is another plant medicine episode. We talk about the feminine divine. We're going to talk about woman stuff. So if you're easily offended by discussions surrounding menstruation, uh, even blood clots, talking about a red tent city, then I guess don't listen to this podcast and don't open your mind. But if you would like to know more about that and actually how psychedelics can impact your menstrual cycle too, you know, stay tuned because fascinating conversation. Sandra is a really great spirit, really easy to connect to. And I just encourage you to check her out and and go see what, what she's talking about. So with that being said, as always, listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Dr. Sandra Dreisbach. Enjoy the episode. Well, I have to tell you, I am I'm so excited for this. I do not um, I do not interact with many uh, women who oh, are interested in psychedelics or anything <laughs> like that. So I'm so excited for this. Yeah. Oh yeah. well, I'm, I'm my pleasure then. Yeah. yeah. So let's jump I in. I have that book I was telling you about right here. As a matter of fact, I was. I I downloaded it immediately on Kindle and started reading it, and I am a note taker, and so I've been taking lots of notes of things that just kind of stand out to me about it. Oh my god, I love it. Did you do drawings too? Um. Well, I'm a doodler. And no, no, I love it. Yeah. So that's how I that's how I absorb information. If I write it out and big colorful print, I can remember it. So it's just no, my, my learning. I love that. No, I actually even took a, a, a class on the visual art of listening and mm-hmm. it, and you literally take written visual notes. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I see things in my head. So I just kind of put it on paper. It's the best way for totally, me to learn. I totally get that. I know. I'm like, maybe I should do this all the time, you know? Yeah. I have so many books filled with notes of just everything that I've learned. So like one day when I die, someone's going to come in here and go, what the hell, mom? Did you write everything now? You have to read it. What do we do with it? I don't know. To figure I know. Out. I have so many different ways of like um, taking notes. Like I have like different books for different things and different like, like, like this. Well, actually, this one's actually, this one's pretty neat. Actually, this one's just like by itself. Oh, you don't have a million post-its sticking out of it? Oh, no, no. Well, this oh, one. there you go. There you go. Yep. I do that too. <laughs> and then it, it is funny because it even says my personal agenda. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, this is where all my notes on psychedelic ethics are in case anyone, you can even see it here. You're like psychedelic ethics. These are my scribbles. Oh, well, that's a, that's a really good topic to just start from is the ethics involved in psychedelics, because I think a lot of people believe that psychedelic use is unethical in itself. So 
And, and that's what I got to tell you, you're kind of like spread out there in all these different areas and categories. I was super excited about that. Right. Cause usually you find someone, Oh, I'm an ethicist. You're boring and you don't do anything else then, but you are all over the place. Like I even saw you did a tarot. You were instructing people on how to use tarot. And I'm like, yes, this is my people right here. She yeah, is. I have, I have those right by me too. Here, I'll give you, I'll get, like I have like, this is the archetype step. Like can Kranz like love that. Okay. Like, I am right now reading between the psychedelic mysteries of the feminine and Carl Jung's uh, archetypes of the collective unconscious. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, if That's you don't awesome. have the archetypes deck, then you should get it. Oh, yeah. you know, I've been looking at tarot cards. I don't, I don't know enough about it. I've never had a reading done. Like I participate in online readings and stuff, and a lot of stuff resonates with me. But it's also an interesting topic that we could totally talk about. So this is this is my one of my primary decks, and and uh, um. We'll just see what comes out for you right now. Oh, okay. So, um, gosh, I, I, it's like, it's funny because like this is recorded. So maybe you shouldn't see what everyone. So, so basically the general energy is that you're in a new adventure and a new beginning in your life. It's the end of a lot of um, anxiety and issues that you've had in terms, of, especially with your mental thoughts and experiences. It's come to a conclusion now. Um, and, um, and you're, and the, the new beginning has caused a lot of disruption in your life, but it's, it's, it's a positive disruption, um, because you're on, because the general energy, this is a major arcana having to do with, uh, your soul's growth and evolution. So it's just moved into a new house in uh-huh. a new town mm-hmm. and it has created a lot of just upset and inconvenience in just restructuring and getting used to like my husband's got a new job. So there's a new schedule and there's new plans. And then there's a new schedule for me and the kids because I homeschool. And then, yeah. Wow. Wow. No. So, I mean, but, but back to the archetypes idea. Right. And that's not, that's not how you generally do reads. I just like a little, a little bit, of, but like, you know, like um, the fool, right. That that's a major archetype, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and so uh, the tarot cards uh, you can see them as being, about your own psychology your own subconscious uncovering the unconscious you could see them as divination Mm. um and uh and open yourself to the possibilities and i think a lot of times whether it's in ethics or in psychology or in psychedelics we can get stuck in mindsets Mm. about what we think something is that you know even just a throw deck for some would be forbidden yes it would be magical That is an interesting statement to make too. Yeah. Um, I think collectively the world is going through something that we're stuck in and mentally wise, we're stuck in our mindsets about what we've been told to believe and what we think we believe without a lot of, I guess, skepticism and self-criticism for really exploring what it is that we say we believe. And um, I just think that there's such a there's such an awakening taking place. And sometimes I feel like even saying that is cliche because it's like, well, maybe an awakening's always been taking place and everyone's just becoming aware of it. Um, but in the same turn, it seems like a lot more information is being given to us um, wherever we get our information from through, through the media, through the social media. And it's really kind of like confronting a lot of people to take a pause and step back and go, wait a minute what do I believe? 
So that's just really interesting. So I want to first dig into you're an ethicist. So let's start there and let's gravitate towards how the hell did you end up in just in psychedelics and tarot reading? (laughs) (laughs) So what do you want to know about ethics? Well, so you teach, (laughs) you're a teacher as well. Yeah, um, I am a lecturer at the University of California, Santa Cruz. I primarily teach bioethics, which is like applied um, ethics in the field of um, the molecular engineering and sciences, biotech, including psychedelics, it would be covered in bioethics. And uh, I teach for the biomolecular engineering department and philosophy departments there. It's it's cross-listed and uh, it's a it's a great school, great program. I, I really have appreciated being a part of teaching ethics there. So say I'm walking into one of your classes, just for the listeners, for those who maybe don't understand what ethics is, what is it that you're teaching? What are like kind of like the fundamental pillars of what you want to introduce your students to? Well, uh, it's interesting you ask this right now, because uh, before before this, I was uh, recording a, a video for them to watch asynchronously um, for a class. Like My class just started last week. Um, and due to COVID, uh, I've I've started offering a lot of my courses and work online. And, uh, but what they would basically get and what I tell my students is that I'm not here to change your values or what you believe or what your ethics are. I want you to have a better understanding of what you believe and what you value and what's important to you. And through the process of this course, you'll come to a greater understanding of yourself, I hope, as well as an understanding of others and holding space for other people's values and and ideas and apply it to your work. So it sounds like you're teaching people how to be compassionate. I I hope so. But, but, uh, and, and I guess, you know, that's not on the the course syllabus is like you, you must be compassionate by the end. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, you could say, that that is in part what ethics is about, but that itself is an ethical judgment on what ethics ought to be. But for myself, at least, I, I usually self-declare that I'm I'm I my ethics is about love and compassion and community. I like that a lot. Yeah. And, and you know, when I was first introduced to ethics, I didn't see it that way until I kind of dug in. And then what it what it just helps you see is that there are all these possibilities and perspectives out there for consideration. You don't have to necessarily accept or reject them. You can kind of be indifferent to a lot of things that are out there, but it's about, and, and this is kind of like the, the tagline for my podcast too, is just compassionately considering other perspectives without it having to feel like it's an attack or an insult against your yeah. character or your beliefs. And so anyway, but that. So in ethics, that leads you over to, to the bioethics area and into psychedelics. And so let's see, I first engaged with you on Twitter and it was about psychedelics. And I was trying to see if there was someone else out there who maybe resonated with what some of my psychedelic experience have, have been like and how they have Im- impacted me both mentally and emotionally, but also like physiologically, like, um, and I had presented to you, like, do men and women experience psychedelics differently? And you were like, well, let's move beyond the gender and the constructs. And I'm down with that. But just my own personal comparisons with my male friends versus my female friends and those of us who have experienced psychedelics, there seems to be 
a significant difference in, I would just say what is revealed and what is experienced. And so that was one of my questions posed to you. And I'm wondering if we can just expand on that a little bit, dig into there, just kind of share with the audience what you've seen, what you've observed and and what, what you kind of teach on and instruct on about psychedelics and the experiences. Well, um, it's, it's worth possibly declaring at first that um, my expertise in my PhD was on ethical decision-making and moral psychology in the sense of um, how framing affects mindset affects your, your values and how you make decisions. And it's through that lens that I often view these sort of questions. And also you could say, because of philosophical training, like you were saying, I'm being able to hold multiple viewpoints and yet not fully engage in any of them, but being willing to hold space for them in a compassionate way, really listening, really trying to understand them. So the, the first part about uh, the framing of uh, men and women, are they different type of thing that sort of Uh, in terms of the psychedelic experience. Like if I was just to answer that top level question, I would just have to say yes. But but then the question is why? Uh, And one is, you know, it is still going to be my comment about, you know, um, gender constructs about what is feminine and what is masculine. And um, um, I I identify as being a member of the LGBTQIA plus community as being bi slash pansexual to how one to find those things. And my daughter's also transgender. And uh, I want to make sure we're always holding space for those I- different identities. And I know you're, you're supportive of that. But, but that actually is also part of the answer as well, because if women and men are actually trained in different gender identities, different frameworks in terms of how they understand themselves, that um, let's say a woman is supposed to be more receptive and not assertive. Um, a man is supposed to be assertive and not, not, not responsive, not receiving, not, not emotional, not feeling. And you come into the psychedelic space with that idea, you're automatically going to have a different set because you literally have a different set. You have a different mindset coming into the experience. And, and it's from that framework, you're coming into the experience and it's shifting from that space. And you'll find commonalities with other women in part simply because you've had the exact same um, socialization, colonialization, you know, conceptualization of your own identity. Now, that's one aspect, but then there's also like common aspects of like biology, biological aspects, you know, of, of even a feminine identity, even if you've embraced a feminine identity and how you see yourself and how you want to see yourself and how you're choosing to construct your identity. <laughs> um, and, and even the, the, um, one thing I've thought a lot about, I think you mentioned in, in the, the Twitter feed that we were having is about, um, for instance, biological uh, body-based uh, periods, menstruation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what I noticed for me is if I use psychedelics while I'm menstruating, it stops. It stops. And then I don't have cramps and I am feeling less emotional less reactive. And I was like, this is actually kind of phenomenal. If more women were comfortable with maybe even microdosing, because I am one of the um, times I, I was microdosing over like three days. And I was just like floored by 
the release from those expectations of the period and why it's so dreadful. And it was like, oh, I'm just existing in my body. You know, there's blood coming out, but it's not hurting me. And it was just, it's been such a weird phenomenon for me. And of course on Twitter, I don't want to be like, Hey, has anyone else noticed the size of their clots are decreasing when they microdose? You know what I mean? Like, like, but I noticed I, I that too. Um, <laughs> I'm working up to it. I mean, I'm bold in some of my stuff, but, um, so, and, and I mean, we really just need to be able to have these conversations out loud in the public oh, sphere yeah. anyway, without any shame right? or worry about embarrassment as it is. Um, but yeah, I did notice that it's exactly to the point again, right? Like we're, we're women, at least in the West, we're trained, you know, and in a lot of other cultures too, you know, that periods are something to be ashamed of, to be hidden. You don't want someone to see like you have a, a tampon or a pad in your, your bag or purse, you know, you don't label it as, you know, this is my, my, you know, <laughs> like, or I'm not going to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom because I'm bleeding right now. And I don't want to bleed out into my pants or something like that. You don't say that, you know, um, or it's not seen as like an empowering thing, like thinking about the archetypes again. Um, the feminine power used to be in part from her fact that she had the menstrual blood and, and being able to, for instance, collect the menstrual blood to even use in your garden or in fer- these to fertilize grounds with it. And, uh, and, and uh, a source of power, the feminine power was, was this menses cycle. So imagine if you saw it as the time of power, you know, not that I'm about trying to fling around power as it were, but in the sense of the, the mystery of the feminine and uh, what makes the, the power bringing birth and life is what has also been exalted in the feminine. And yet um, we haven't, I don't feel like I was trained at least to embrace that as a, an empowering experience. It was something to be ashamed of or not talked about or discreet mm-hmm. or, you know, that time of the month or, <laughs> um, and, 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 um, and I will agree with you. I find that there is a difference uh, when I'm menstruating or when I'm not menstruating and, and how it affects my menstruation. And, and I try and, um, uh, take plant medicines intuitively. And I was noticing recently that, um, I've had a recent pattern where I've been led to do plant medicines right when my cycle starts. Mm. And it wasn't a planned thing. I wasn't trying to do it then. And it really made me wonder like, wow, you know, if I had this other mindset about, you know, the feminine magic or power of the cycle and I embrace that more, then would I be more inclined to journey when I'm cycling as that, that as the sense of the PowerPoint, as it were, of, of rebirth? That's really interesting. Yeah. To really go inside to your cycle of your, your, your birth, your death and your, your, your rebirth, essentially is, is yeah. kind of the way that I've been looking at my cycles lately is like, okay, all in a, in a week, I am, I am giving birth, but I'm also giving birth to death. And I, I read this from, I think a book called the theology of the womb. It just helped me really like re-examine the way that I see my period and to, to be more intentional about while it is painful and, uh, I, I, I am an emotional wreck. Sometimes this is like a really, uh, transforming time for my, for my cycle that I should, I should be grateful about and not, you know, cause I think a lot of women are like, ah, I hate my period. But like, if you really flip the switch on how you even look at it, 
Um, I've noticed even just cramping has decreasing just from the way that I'm like, I'm receiving this because this is my gift. And this is, this is about life and rebirth and transformation. And, and, you know, sometimes I just have a, a mentality of like, I am ridding myself of all of the things that do bring me death. Maybe, you know, it's just all about the perspective and the lens that you put on like what you're experiencing that can help you have a better outlook on not only your life, but the lives around you that are connected to you too. So, but I'm so glad I'm not alone in that because I haven't received a lot of feedback when I ask people that I'm like, you know, what's going on? Like, where are the studies about this? What does this mean? You know, and it's like, (laughs) where do you find this information? So well, um, and it's a real struggle. I mean, even um, I, I've had conversations about, you know, more conversations more and more with other women about parenting and, and psychedelics and um, childbirth and psychedelics and nursing and psychedelics and plant medicines and and uh, this this pain point of that there's not enough research um, that, you know, even uh, trying to you know, responsibly use plant medicines as an ethicist. I definitely care about that. I think most people in the space do and are responsible with their use, but it makes it a lot more challenging if you don't even have the information. Um, the, um, I should uh, I should be sharing about M- Michaela um, gave a talk and I, I try to remember her last name right now and I apologize, Michaela, that I don't remember your last name at the psilocybin summit about um, pregnancy and, and childbirth and, and talking about this and and about like the one like rat study that's out there on um, seeing whether psilocybin goes into the fetus, right? And and there's so many things about the study that aren't actually helpful for pregnant women. You know, um, it doesn't actually help give us good advice. And we're so, um, for instance, like they, they didn't feed them psilocybin, they were injected. And just on that alone, that could be a significant difference in terms of the study, in terms of what, but they did show that it did get to the fetus, right? Um, but, um, but of course, like they injected the, <laughs> yeah. but then in order to find out that they went to the, the fetus, they, they kill all the animals. And, um, and so it's not like they, they studied what happened to the development cycle of those fetuses afterwards. It was just to show that they had, um, the psilocybin, but it also isn't the manner of delivery that most people have psilocin. Um, yeah. So, um, and then, and then it's used as a scare tactic for, for women to not engage in plant medicines while they're pregnant or nursing. And I'm not saying anyone necessarily should or shouldn't, but the fact that, you know, um, it's being used in a way that's not informed and, and not really educated in a way. And there's a strong bias in our culture, both in terms of, you know, granted, at least the research is changing now to have more data and more research. And it's, and that's why people are talking about the psychedelic renaissance. But, um, but I think there needs to be an acknowledgement of the fact that we need to make decisions now without adequate information. And, um, and we don't have attachment to a lot of the, the histories, the indigenous traditions that had the wisdom, that had the knowledge, that had, you know, um, you know, that could have helped us. Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. That's the one thing that I find most common in my research is um, just kind of the pointing back to native indigenous um, traditions and rituals that incorporate uh, the use of psychedelics and other plant medicines. Like I was even studying the uses of tobacco, like traditional ancient uses of tobacco tobacco. with, with native indigenous tribes, like here in the United States. And I was like, oh, so I'm smoking wrong. Okay. I got it. Cause I'm a cigarette smoker. 
Um, but in the, just in reading some of this stuff and I'm like, eh, duh, why didn't I like put that together the way I've put it together for like my cannabis use and my LSD use or my psilocybin use is like, you have to do it with intention because otherwise yeah. you're just abusing it and you're not getting the medicinal properties out of it. Um, and of course, what we know in our own United States history is no one really actually wants to tell us anything about the native tribes about their rituals, about their practices, anything, because it's like, we're just trying to, oh no, we're going to forget about that. And we're moving towards a more like the pharmacology industry and like, what can the scientists produce for us in a lab versus what's already available to us in nature that we're already divinely connected to, if we really opened our eyes to, to embrace that. And so I just have a really great appreciation for that. It's like, sometimes I'm 40 years old and I'm like, I never knew all of this stuff. Like, why wasn't I taught this in school? Like, this is more beneficial to me because especially like teach me about what the tribes in this state were doing a hundred years ago. And we could all implement that into our daily activities and we could probably have better overall qualitative health, but uh, that's not going to make other people money. So there's to a degree, an understanding of why they don't share that information with us. Yeah, and there's a real thirst for that knowledge now, and 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 then it brings in new dangers and new <laughs> new concerns about, for instance, like cultural appropriation of indigenous practices and the lack of respect um, of of and, and or not acknowledging the the centuries of traditions and stuff that where it came from, uh, and and yet there's that need there for understanding and learning and. And it is definitely a good thing in the sense of us wanting to have that knowledge and and shifting our perspective, like we were saying earlier, holding that space for other voices that we ourselves put out. Yeah, definitely. So you said you were at a psilocybin summit. And then did I also see that you were, or did you say you were also attending an MDMA summit? Was that what it was? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think I, I'm trying to like, I'm literally, or maybe asking, I just saw something in your Twitter feed about an MBA been, summit. Yeah, yeah, no, I think yeah. there isn't, I think there is one. I, I want to like check my calendar. Right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if anything, there's like a constant uh, feed of, of conferences and talks that I like before the psilocybin one, I think it was at the DMT one. Oh, DMT. I think that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was that one. Yeah. Um, but there is one coming up on MBA and there's another one coming up, but it's like, so, um, but there's, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things is there's a lot more conversations, um, both academically and non-academically as it were, and not that it's less, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, um, within the psychedelic communities, uh, that where, where people are sharing their knowledge and wisdom, and there's more of these bridging conversations, um, between indigenous and Western and science and others, but it's still, very much an awkward growth phase right now. <laughs> so, the I, D- so the DMT summit, can you talk about DMT? I, my son used DMT and it scared the bejesus out of him. And so I've been hesitant about it, but I'm wondering if you can share any interesting facts or anything that you've discovered about DMT. And maybe if you know, why does it petrify people so much? Well, I actually think we have a lot of fear around a lot of the psychedelics you know i actually um uh, at one point you were mentioning like how did i get into these relationships like in some sense i as i as i myself reflect on these questions i i'm like well i realized i was raised with the fear of mushrooms (laughs) 
because <laughs> my my dad thought he was allergic and so um i was usually allergic to everything he was allergic to and and so i was told not to ever eat mushrooms even when i became vegetarian i was avoiding mushrooms and 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 that's not even talking about people's fear about psychedelic mushrooms right um <clears throat> um there's a general fear about mushrooms and not you know like not having quote-unquote death caps or amanita muscaria which i've been studying too um and uh and for dmt i wouldn't say that i i, I have a lot of i wouldn't be the best one to speak on dmt but um but one thing i find really curious about um i mean for, for instance dmt is is active and not just like sort of the having the sort of uh, DMT experience, as it were, but also it's it's active in a lot of plants. It, um, there were some some motions to try and make DMT banned, but they realized they would have to ban all these different plants that have DMT in it. And then, what kind of plants have DMT in it? Um, you know, um, like I, I again, just like I native random plants that grow. Plants that you have probably in your backyard that huh. you don't know. I mean, um, and and again, lower amounts, and then and there's evidence, uh, you know, um that, you know, again, I can't speak to, but that supposedly argues that we have DMT in our own bodies and our brains. So we have DMT as well. Kind of like um, cannabinoid so DMT, receptors. Yeah. Kind of like cannabinoid okay. receptors, but, um, but, um, but DMT, we actually generate our own DMT. Uh, and, and I don't know a lot of the facts around that. Um, but, um, but Chakruna and ayahuasca, um, ayahuasca, um, DMT is one of the ingredients that is activated in an ayahuasca experience as well. So, um, and, and it's interesting because uh, I never thought I would be under, trying to understand neurobiology as an ethicist. Um, so that's my stretch area. So I'm very hesitant to speak on those topics, but, um, but it's worth being curious about. And I get curious primarily about um, why is it that we have these fears and this resistance to these different plant medicines and psychedelics? Um, you know, how much of it is because of, uh, you know, cultural mindsets and, and biases or, um, or industry or commercialization or, you know, puritanical sort of leftovers of colonial concepts of what is quote unquote primitive or, or it being a quote unquote witch or something like that, you know, like, you know, if you mess with a lot of bunch of different herbs and with the natural plants and natural world, you know, there was a mystery of that divine feminine that like, well, you know, I don't understand it. Therefore it must be dangerous. Therefore, you know, you know, get rid of it. And, and I think we, we have a natural fear psychologically of anything we don't know or don't understand, whether it be a person, an indigenous culture, a plant medicine or the person next door, you know? Um, yeah, and, yeah. and I think um, with the war on drugs, that's been like over 50 years now, um, which really, uh, I, I feel I, I want, I want, everyone wants to declare the end of it. You know, the criminalization of these drugs that should not have ever been criminalized in, in my humble opinion. Um, and and the, the pain and damage that's been caused by that. And part of that is literally a damage in our own mindsets and what we see as safe or harmful and uh, a bias, a very clear bias against psychedelics. And to the question you asked earlier about psychedelics being seen as unethical, it's because of this very extreme bias in our culture that um, any sort of, that sort of exploration is dangerous. 
that it's it's not okay to explore the internal mysteries of the mind and that it you know that it it's that literally the ideas of counterculture and um and or that the idea of the bad trip like how much damage has been done by the idea of the bad trip there and and for the record i don't feel like there are any bad trips i know <laughs> No, I, I, I'm going to have to concur with that. Even in instances where maybe I felt like I just didn't get what I wanted out of the psychedelic experience. I've never had a, a bad trip. If anything, I, I mean, from LSD, I, I get bloating, but I think that's pretty common with a lot of people. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of it is like, um, and actually, um, uh, I should give a shout out to, to fireside, um, support line. Um, they, they 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 have a peer to peer support line and and they definitely have that mentality as well that you just you're trying to work through it you work through um, the experience and especially if we're thinking about psychedelic therapies and and healing and therapeutic aspects of it i think that's a lot of the mindset that's shifting now as we coin the psychedelic renaissance and have evidence of the healing that indigenous and, and uh, traditions have known for centuries and have always had that of you. Um, like you were saying with mother tobacco, it's always was considered actually one of the more powerful um, medicines and some traditions you never even inhale it. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause that would be disrespectful. Yeah. But um, just the smudging of it. Uh, in yeah, itself using is... For smudging and for clearing, it's considered very powerful and for releasing and um, so many things like that. And that's, and that's just tobacco. I mean, not just yeah, out of respect to mother tobacco, <laughs> but, uh, but like uh, that, that the bad trip or something like that, it's, if we're doing healing and we have traumas and we have bad, ex- quote unquote, bad experiences in our lives that we all have, we're all human. Uh, those can come up in a psychedelic experience and they're coming up for your own healing, you know, to be released. Um, just like people get upset of the, the purging that can happen with ayahuasca or some other plant medicines, you know, uh, well, that's, it's a release of toxins. It's actually a help to you. It's of service to you. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that can be imbalanced and that there can't be too much and that there shouldn't be responsible use and that, you know, you can't go too hard, too fast type of idea. I think you absolutely can. And, and it can be more traumatizing and you can have, you know, um, it, but if you think about it in the lens of, of trauma and healing, you get a different conversation than if you say something can be a bad trip. Yeah. Like they, they're coming out. I've seen, I've, I've seen a lot of studies and I've also heard like, I mean, even Joe Rogan talks about this on his podcast and MDMA specifically in helping PTSD. So talking about helping vets who are coming back from serving in the military and being stuck in this perpetual trauma, just one dose of MDMA can pull them out and bring them back into a healthy lifestyle where they're balanced again. And and so there are a lot of positive well, benefits. I want to hesitate just a second there. It's like, I, okay. I, I want to also avoid, you know, the, the cure all mindset yes. of psychedelics as well. That's like individual it's a, healing. Yeah. I'll just go, it's not, nothing is ever a one and done sort yeah. of thing. And, and most of the work I, I, I will often tell people is actually an in integration and the healing around the experience and not just the experience in and of itself, but you're absolutely right. Like the, I've never been, uh, more convinced by data in my life than when I looked at some of the studies, um, whether from John Hopkins or from, from maps or some of these other sources, like the map studies looking at uh, recalcitrant PTSD with veterans and MDMA. 
showing that after, for instance, like three different sessions of MDMA combined with therapy, both before and after, and over a period of time, that, um, and, and recalcitrant PTSD just means that they've tried, uh, it's that they've had at least a couple different pharmaceutical inventions and, and with, with either no success or little success or, or not significant improvement. Um, and that the, that the PTSD, that, that, that classification continues, but the go through the treatment and several of them uh, have shown to not have testing as being PTSD and not being depressed anymore, no longer being clinically depressed. And that's, that's huge, you know, or, or people coming out of a tobacco study and having, you know, the same with psilocybin and having a few sessions of psilocybin with combined with therapy again, um, and, and having been able to quit for over a year without going back. Yeah, I haven't jumped into that intentionality yet because I think I like tobacco too much. But no, I'm, not, uh, I'm not telling you to stop. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know. It's just, I know, but that's true. I mean, right. So like when I started talking about psychedelic use with other people, they're like, so did you quit smoking? And I was like, <laughs> well, no. Well, I heard it helps people quit smoking. Yes. If that's what your intention is, but I like smoking, so I'm not ready to give it up yet. So there's that, but oh, that's funny. That is true. There, there are, there have been significant breakthrough studies with that tobacco. And, and I know somebody who was a smoker for 45 years and she, she did two, two experience, two trips. And she was like, I don't ever want a cigarette again. And I was like, wow, like you went to some traveling in your brain and into your past where you were able to just let that go. And I thought, well, when I'm ready for it, I'm going to do that. And hopefully it'll work. But and that is, and, and with helping people quit using alcohol, quit using methamphetamine, things like that, it can help if you're intentional about it, if you're therapizing the whole journey too, you can break a lot of really bad addictions that have been troubling to you. Well, and the, and the interesting thing to me is that, um, like for instance, with the tobacco studies, like one of the, the highest correlations with success was whether or not they reported having had a mystical experience. And, uh, wow. and so, um, now, now I'll, I'll leave that aside for now, just to say that, um, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's an indicator of what's happening internally, in my opinion, that it's, it's because of the healing that's happening inside or the, or the meaning or the values, cause I'm an ethicist, right. I'm going to think in those terms, um, that, that you find even the mystical, right. Like you found greater meaning. You find like uh, in uh, studies that have been done by NYU involving uh, palliative care in and people who are facing their deaths, for instance, like cancer patients and terminal cancer patients, given the option of having psilocybin before um, and finding peace and and no longer being depressed, facing their own death before they die, you know, um, which is such a beautiful, a beautiful thing and a beautiful gift to be able to give someone that peace and it even, even prolongs their life just to simply not be depressed, but the quality of life. And there's so much promise across the board, but, um, and sometimes almost the painful thing is the fact that this knowledge has been known for centuries. And, um, because we chose, um, to, to colonize or however you want to interpret like what the story is about what happened, but even from ourselves, like, uh, going back to the menstrual cycles, like, um, as I started uh, connecting more to nature and to myself more and to how I felt and that being important, which sounds really basic, but I think 
being raised in a particular way, I thought I, it didn't matter how I felt. It mattered how others people felt. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting too. And going back to this book that I was reading about the theology of the womb is learning about all of these ancient traditions where women would gather in red tent societies yes. and would enjoy each other's company and be there to support and encourage each other during this time of their of their cycle and i'm like where are the red tent societies like why I'm do we and i'm cycling right now i'll just tell you right now so we can bond right now and have our own little red tent there we go but i mean isn't that something that's like we, we're taught like what even in biblical teachings set her outside she's dirty she's unclean and i'm like no they were giving us whole freaking tents and villages and saying leave the women alone this is a very important magical cycle for her a time in her life where we should be in 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 gratitude for what she's experiencing and now it's like i've been to people's homes where you you can't even say the word tampon without them going la 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 la, i don't want to hear don't talk about that i'm I'm talking about my ex right now right like in our uh, we have a daughter together which is ironic like she can't even talk about menstruation around her dad without him freaking out but yeah, yeah we have so we have suppressed the most like fundamental basic natural thing that a woman d- goes through and have shamed it and act like uh, it's not important it's very important but yeah. the f- overall feminine the the feminine divine i think has been really suppressed and i think so with psychedelics what i have again this is all anecdotal and and secondhand information from other male friends but through their psychedelic experiences, they've come to realize like they were like, prior to that, they were like, I'm secure in my masculinity. And they go through a psychedelic experience and they're like, oh my God, what did I, I was missing so much. And it's like coming to terms with, there's a feminine balance here that has been suppressed from, from men in so many societies. And I think just exploring that in my own with psychedelic experiences is coming to I used to, I guess, view myself as the crazy woman, right? I represent (laughs) chaos. That's just the role I play, but it's so much more than that. And it's just overall like the, like the feminine has been suppressed. And so how do we bring that back? Yeah. And it's interesting because like one of the, one of, I I was part of a a women's uh, group. I was actually through um, the UK Psychedelic Society and they had this series, um, Gaia, she runs a beautiful class. and we go through different archetypes of the divine feminine, you know, um, and the different parts. And, and really a lot of it is just to not only be familiarized and understand different ways of thinking through these archetypes, but as divine, as positive aspects of ourselves, re-envisioning like the maiden aspect of, you know, coming into um, that period. And then when you come into, you know, like, or even the crone phase, like when, you know, all these different aspects of femininity and masculinity, because we're all tied into both. Um, I personally think we have the divine feminine and masculine within each of us. And if we teach it sort of, I'll just call it a toxic feminine archetype and, or a toxic masculine archetype, it harms us both. It harms both aspects of ourselves, the feminine and masculine aspects of ourselves, as well as um, the feminine and masculine bodies. But um, I think the, uh, back to your point about uh, raising consciousness, I definitely think we're at a point of more collective awakening and consciousness. And, and I am an eternal optimist for sure. But um, I, and I see it, I see it, you know, um, even in terms of 
uh, talking about feminine and cycles and things like that, I'm having these conversations now. Um, even with uh, my daughter who's transgender, who has a biological male body, but identifies as female. And she transitioned at a young age. She's 11 now and transitioned at about um, five and a half, six. Um, that's a whole nother story. But um, I'm open with my kids about when I'm menstruating, when I'm having a period. And, and like my daughter's like, well, you know, yeah, I won't be able to have kids, but I don't have to have periods, mom. And she keeps rubbing it in. Like, she's like proud of the fact that she doesn't have to have periods, you know? <laughs> but you're kind of missing out on it too, honey. Just want to say. I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. the thing. It's okay. I feel like I got to empower this a little bit more. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Because I'll, I'll do a sort of stereotypical, like sort of discomfort sort of thing, you know, I'm like, uh, like, like with a cramping or something like that, you know, and she's like, yep. Yeah. I don't have periods. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really important to bring your children on board with what you're going through every month too. And I started, I did that with all of my children. I did it more so with my younger children than my older children. Um, but I did it almost spitefully with my older children just because their dad was so, and then I remember really early on in my relationship with my husband before we were married too, I, he had heard me and I was like, crap, I'm out of fucking damn ponds. And he's like, do you want me to go get you some? And I went, wait, you, <laughs> you would, you would like be seen holding like a box in public. Yeah. And so like, from then on, I was like, he's comfortable. He, okay, we can do this. And so even with my kids, you know, and sometimes it's just like, mommy's got the owies in her tummy right now. Right. Like, or I got cramps or, or I'm even saying things like go get mommy a pad. If I'm out of one in one bathroom, go get this yeah. for me. So they know what it is and they're not embarrassed by it. And they know it's That's like, right. and I think we can do even simple things. Right. And I got this, I noticed this from my sister-in-law a long time ago. And it, I never understood why it didn't dawn on me earlier, but I was like, she just left her pads and tampons and baskets right there on the toilet. And I was like, well, that's weird. And then I was like, well, no, it's not. She's not ashamed of her period. She's that's a woman right. with that's children. Right. And that kind of like just influenced me to really stop being ashamed of it. And it's like, it's so weird how just those little like things can kind of stimulate that mimetic program for us to imitate something and not yeah, even absolutely. realize we're implementing it into our life in a positive way. Like I don't have to be embarrassed that I'm on my period and I don't need, and I mean, I think we see that I, I never had one, but you know, um, as generations are advancing, you, you see things like menstruation parties and period parties and celebrating like the first time a child yeah. gets her period. And yeah. I remember thinking at first, well, that's weird, but now it's like, no, it's not, it's empowering because no, we need I to mean, bring um, it back to the importance like the of Dene, it. The Navajo, um, though I can't speak for their tradition as a whole, but I, I do understand that when, um, the girls have their first period. It is, it is a, an invitation to their motherhood. It is celebrated. It is, you know, honored and, and, and they, they're excited and they look forward to having their first period. Right. You know, um, and, and that almost makes me choked up and want to cry. Cause like, I did not have that experience, you know, there's a yeah, certain, I and I think, you know, as we ourselves heal from, you know, the sort of ways that we were taught in various ways to, to disempower us and to shame ourselves in different ways. I mean, I, um, like for instance, it, uh, it was, and, and also to acknowledge how far we've come, like in, in India, it's even more, it's such a problem to even get sanitary supplies uh, that um, some girls leave school once they, 
they have their period, that's, that's a lot of times when they stop going to school. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, like, that's horrifying to me, at least, you know, like, I'm like, well, at least I was able to go to school still after I got my period, but to imagine that, that that was your barrier to staying in school, you know, and you can't talk about it. And like, and then, and this extends, of course, to our sexuality and a whole bunch of other things and about pregnancy and childbirth and how, um, and, and, and even getting back into psychedelics, you know, um, our, we focus a lot more on pharmaceutical orientation um, towards ourselves and towards our world. And of course, we're going to see psychedelics as threatening to that. Because that, like, what's what's safe? What we define as safe is like you go to a medical doctor, you get a prescription, and you know, like, and and first of all, that's not safe. <laughs> I think I think several people in the in the community, at least, you know, like at least for myself, like, um, I think I first had to get jaded a little bit or hurt or 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 by what happened in in pharmaceutical industry or medical profession, both for myself and for my family. That my same father I mentioned, who was I was taught to be afraid of mushrooms by and whom I love dearly who's passed but um he I don't think he was served well by the pharmaceutical industry even though his asthma was able to be controlled to an extent but um at the end of the day I feel like you know well what if we had been raised in a culture that embraced plant medicines if we had you know um it would be a different experience it would have you know um or or even um if you've looked at Gabor Mate's work in terms of paying attention to simply um who, who's done you know over 30 years of working with people with addiction um and and one of the things I thought really struck me in terms of of his work is the fact he talks about one of the most common things that he saw in people who are considered quote-unquote addicts was that they're highly sensitive people yeah and I once asked him in in a after Q&A session what do you think um, someone should do if they are highly sensitive. Cause I said, Hey, I'm highly sensitive. I identify as being very highly sensitive and intuitive and much other things, but, um, what, how can you avoid being traumatized? And in some ways his answer was discouraging, <laughs> um, but, and also encouraging. It's like, well, no one asked you to change your eye color, but they asked you to not be sensitive. And, mm. and in our culture, you know, you, you are not supported for being sensitive and you end up getting traumatized, especially if, men, especially men, and, and, and especially men. And if you've been born in another culture, he says like you, maybe you would have been identified as a shaman or a healer or, you know, um, and, and be, be nurtured and raised as such. Right. Um, and, and that the, these traditions that we have ourselves, you know, not honored and respected um, end up being in part, the, the source of, of some of our very problems that we have in society today. And yet we blame that we blame the victim literally of people who are quote unquote addicted and have these substance dependencies. And then we blame the drugs that they're on. And then we blame even the substances that, you know, they seek to be able to seek out their healing. And I think that's on the consciousness raising sort of thing. I think the beautiful thing about the shifts that are happening now in the like the sort of psychedelic renaissance, a la Michael Pollan and other people who are trying to raise attention to all the psychedelic research. And, um, but really it's, it's awakening to this wisdom and knowledge that has always been there and, and realizing our disconnection from nature and realizing um, that we can create our own healing um, by reconnecting back again. 
yeah. to ourselves, to our unconsciousness, to, to not seeing our unconsciousness as an enemy, as something to be afraid of, um, that, that plants are our allies, um, uh, even open to the possibilities of them being beings in and of themselves that are worthy of respect, let alone the wisdom keepers who've been training for, like, you know, in order to do ayahuasca ceremony in some traditions, you have to have been doing it for over, you know, 20 years and even to be considered uh, close to a, a maestro of some sort. Isn't that interesting too? And I think, I think that's what I'm coming to realize too, is we've been lied to about how we're not one with nature. We see ourselves as separate from nature. And so we are more willing to be acceptable of things that are created in a lab. And I think, well, I came from nature and a plant comes from nature. Why are we not seeing that we're related and instead of separate? And I think, I mean, this idea of separateness falls through so many different ideologies that people pick up as their practices and beliefs, right? Like even, even when you get to Christianity, we're separate from God, right? And so many different denominations and teachings, you're separate from God, you're beneath God, you're not of one with God. And your goal is to learn how to be one with God, but, or in, in a lot of other traditions, trying to teach you how to reconnect with nature. And it's like, well, you don't really actually have to reconnect. You just have to realize your already existing connection. You are from nature. And so I think that's what I'm seeing in a lot. Like, and what's kind of scary is so TikTok is my go-to just for whatever entertainment and fun and, <laughs> and doing something stupid. But at the same time I'm learning. And so many people I see are trying to help you reestablish your connection with nature by teaching you how to provide for yourself, to be more self-sustainable, um, to even care for your health. And you have the, the MSM tyrants telling you, you should be offended by someone trying to teach you to be self-sustainable. And I'm like, um, that's scary. We should not be offended by someone telling me that dandelion root is good for heart health, right? We shouldn't be offended by someone saying you can go learn how to identify mushrooms and morels in your own native land and consume them as food for you, right? Like that, in, that shouldn't be a worry. So that's not an extremist practice. That's, that's a natural practice. And so then you get caught up in these paradigms where like, you're an extremist, you're a prepper, you're planning for yourself, you're taking care of yourself. That's what we were born to do, right? Like nature doesn't need help that we're nature. We don't really need help. We just need to be able to access the resources that help us adapt to the environment as it changes. Well, and we, and we get in our own way. Right. And, and you're right though, in terms of our relationship with nature that was taught to, you know, I mean, just look at the literature paradigms, like man versus man, man versus nature, nature versus, you know, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, um, versus uh, when I was, uh, I realized I didn't finish the thought on the the women's uh, circle with the archetypes and and connecting to menses cycles was that I I didn't I never was taught that my cycles would cycle close to a moon cycle, you know. And so then I started paying attention to you know oh am I full moon cycling or am I new moon cycling? Right right now that I'm is so interesting because I've noticed that too. I'm like wow I really do line up with the full moon. I yeah. didn't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah. That you tend to alternate between full moon cycling and new moon cycling yes. and, and, and it naturally shifts back and forth. And it's part of, you know, um, and, and, and you just, a lot of these things are just, you know, we, we are, we, in any sort of society or any sort of perspective, we get, 
fixed in our mindsets. And we can get just as fixed in a mindset saying like, you got to connect to nature as in like, no, no, you have to use um, scientific inquiry to, <laughs> to understand these things. And it has to be through a therapist office or no, it has to be through a trained shaman who's had X amount of years or whatever. Right. You know, um, <laughs> and the cancel culture sort of idea where people are just, you know, correcting people versus um, holding space for those ideas and really listening and trying to understand and that compassionate inquiry that, that you espouse, right? That, that having, and I think that's, if I were to say some of the things that plant medicines have taught me and psychedelics have taught me, it, and even being in community with the psychedelic community has taught me, is first of all, just, just how to really listen compassionately to myself and to others. And community. And I was resistant for a long time to uh, finding answers in community, uh, mainly because I was taught to be independent and that, you know, women should be independent and, mm-hmm. and self-sufficient and don't um, ask for help. <laughs> don't ask for, you know, but give help, always give help, but don't ever ask for help and be in like, service to others, but don't ask others to be in service to you. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, if you ask for it, like, well, that's, you're just being selfish. You're not considering them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and working through all of these sort of ideas and just like, wait a second, you know, like, <laughs> is that really true? You know? Um, and, and even I think uh, the response to ethics, right, as a practice, like, oh, ethics, like it automatically sounds clinical, you know, it automatically sounds, I mean, and, 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 and there's good reason for that, too, you know, right, that, um, that um, the tradition, Western tradition of ethics um, and ethical study has been uh, analytical, has been trying to, in some sense, divorce the heart from the mind, and so much of our practices have disconnected us from ourselves uh, that, you know, I, I see us as heart, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, this is also a nod to, to Danae, um, novice teachings, even though, again, I can't speak for that, that culture, but I want to acknowledge the source. That's the difference of cultural appropriation, by the way, is, it, is in part acknowledging the source of where the information come if I gave, got it from someone else, even if I can't speak for it. Yeah, and they yeah. talk about being a five-fingered being of, of five different senses. And then there's four invisible senses. Invisible yeah. senses. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe I should let them teach you. Okay. You go to, okay. Um, I know um, if you go to Navajo teachings, you can, you can check out that. There's a, an elder who's giving um, spoken word. And, and that's another interesting thing is that just even the way Western ideas are considered valid valid because you wrote a paper on it and it's been peer-reviewed and it's scientific and we have the data to support it versus uh, having uh, a tradition that is oral. There's nothing written down. Hmm. That's the tradition. It's given person to person and you, re- in you, that's how you're taught and that's how you learn or you learn in nature or you learn in practice or that's how you learned about the plants and, and you learned as it came up, as it arose. Yeah. And it's backed uh, by experience and emotionality on top of it. Connection and connection yeah. through time. Um, that's, uh, I think that's part of the aspect of reciprocity. People talk about reciprocity as a way to kind of help acknowledge indigenous um, traditions and practices and, and not appropriate as much. But um, I think a lot of people misunderstand what reciprocity is. They think it in a Western sense of equal exchange, 
that if you give me this, I give you that. And, oh, we've taken all this. So we need to give X back. Yeah. Or I gave you credit or I quoted you. That's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It reminds me a lot of like that sort of like we we used to have in the West, a very win-lose mindset. And some say we still do. Um, And at least we're getting to like a win-win mindset a little bit more which that's, that's a little bit of like our Western concept of, in some ways what reciprocity is. I would not say it's the indigenous concept yeah. and versus a, what I would like, you know, I could jokingly call a win, win, win mindset, um, but a flourishing mindset where it's about the, the relationship and about uh, like, if you're around someone and your energy lifts up and you're more supported by being in a relationship with them, that's that's true reciprocity. It's beyond reciprocity, really. It's it's a relationship over time. It's an understanding of each other's needs. So that you know, um, if I understand that you need pads, you know, <laughs> a real basic, you know, feminine exchange reciprocity. But or or or, or that like, you know, um, you know, it, it, that's what you do as a friendship in a relationship. That's what that sort of reciprocity is. It's not, you know, like an equal, it, you know, sometimes it will be unequal, but it's supportive. It's a flourishing. It's, 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 it's a garden that grows more seeds and that flourish into plants than grow weeds, you know, that aren't toxic. Um, and you, and go to a lot of like, for instance, in the Amazon rainforest, like where, where we are being toxic to those relationships because we're just not just in the sort of almost seems stereotypical to say we're destroying the rainforest or we're, we're having oil and, and um, treating them in, in ways that make use of the land and not respect the land and also doesn't respect the relationship yeah. that you know, we think like, Oh, we need to acknowledge the traditions or use their traditions or, or go there to the Amazon, you know, not that you shouldn't. And that isn't a good idea as one way to be in relationship. But, um, but we are doing other things too, that there's this sense that like, oh, you should stop the, the, the cutting too, or the oil things like that's all, it's all aspects of the relationship. It's not just. Yeah. It's recognizing the, the consequences that come as a result of you not, uh, engaging reciprocity and you wanting to make the change in the transformation. Yes. And, um, if you think about nature. And you understand that we we truly are interconnected and, and even in a deeper spiritual sense that what I do does impact you. Whether in, and there's that idea of the seven generations, right? Seven generations back, you think about how everything you do affects seven generations back. Again, indigenous, multiple indigenous traditions have this idea and seven generations forward. Mm. And, and it's not because you owe them a debt. It's because you are affecting them. You are a part of those generations. Because we're all connected. We're all connected. You know, um, you are connected to, like for me, I have a redwood, I'm in the redwoods in, in Boulder Creek and I am connected to my forest. And as I build relationship, it's it, it's more supportive of me that to be disconnected from nature, disconnected from these relationships, whether it's people or plants or or the environment or elements, it's a, it, it serves me to be connected because that, it, uh, like you were saying earlier, that you're, you're never apart from nature. That's the illusion. The illusion is the separateness, that, that the mindset, the, the sort of the fear mindset of separateness of um, how can you be afraid of something that you are? Mm. Yeah, but we are. We are afraid of what we are. 
and, it, and that's and then like, like literally people saying false evidence appearing real and it, and it is you know and and that's and that's part of the at least for me part of the gift of plant medicines too is, is and, and a lot of people will say like for instance with with mushrooms with psilocybin um, with mycorrhiza you know that that one of the first things that comes across is people feeling that under honestly understanding the harm that they've caused or understanding that connection and feeling more connected granted the the research is still out on that but you don't have to believe me but um and, and everyone's experience is different but there is a a greater sense of being able to feel more connected because you're able to recognize and see it and mm -hmm. feel it in a way that you know um I'm trying to remember, I wish I could remember the, the source of this. It, it actually came up in, the, in one of the talks at the DMT conference. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure, maybe it was the psilocybin conference. I'm probably going to just mess up all the references so no one's going to be able to find it. But um, this, someone's retelling the story of having had um, a journey. And uh, when they were looking outside originally before the journey, they, they saw the buildings before they saw the trees. But then afterwards, they started seeing the trees first before they saw the buildings. That, that reversal of foreground, background of connecting that like, just like, you know, um, you and I can connect better in person uh, versus, you know, over a screen or behind a mask. Not that masks, I don't, I do support masks, <laughs> but, but those, or being in a car versus um, walking side by side. Yeah. You know, that sense of separateness that's created, but um, we can feel it's easier for us to feel connected to people because we have we've we've been more supported in connecting to humans. But when we're not supported to connecting to nature and, and connect and having these relationships or having community in particular ways, um, then then we're reinforcing those disconnections versus the connections. Yeah, right. Like we've spent, um, at least in my generation, mocking the grandmas that talk to their plants and their tomatoes. And right. I come, you know, and I, I lived on a farm for 11 years and before I moved here. And so like my whole goal was I am connecting with the earth, with the dirt, with the plants, with the trees, but coming to an appreciation for why the old grandmas are talking to their plants and why they're having conversations with them. because. I've found myself doing that. Like, Oh, look at what's going on here. You're sick. Okay. So I need to pay attention to, Oh, look at it. It's cause you're by chlorine. Like when I moved here, we have a pool and I noticed some of these plants just looked horrible. And I'm like, because you're too close to the pool. You don't like that. You know, right. It's yeah. recognizing that you can have a dialogue with the nature in front of you, that the nature that's in your proximity and that you can participate in a healing relationship with it where you so are regenerating them and that that plant life is regenerating you. So, so for true. me, I that's mean, been that way. Um, um, growing up, you know, we moved around a lot every single, every single year, pretty much. Uh, and, and now I've had um, this home that I live in now. Um, I'm wait, I'm trying to think of what year it was, but um, it's like, I think it was 2006. So it's been about almost 15 years or so. And, uh, and uh, you get to know the plants and the nature that are here. And um, I was evacuated from the, the fires here from the CCU complex fires for a month. And having been a part of the sort of literally the natural cycles that are here in this place with these plants, with these trees, uh, 
I could tell that even a year later, I could see that they're still healing and I can see, you know, I know, I know that, you know, in myself too, it also mirrored my own healing from having, you know, been evacuated and having the, the fear of those fires and things like that, that arose. Um, but, but also being able to recognize that natural process of it, you know, that, that it's still happening and growing and changing all the time. And I love the the idea of the grandmother talking to the tomato plants. You know, I, 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 it's so funny. Cause like, I, I was starting to think like, well, when did my relationship with plants begin? I mean, it, 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 it started with the ones that I was having more conscious ones. Like I have this San Pedro plant I've had for over 20 years that if uh, for the record never have consumed. Um, but I have a very deep relationship with the San Pedro plant. And San um, Pedro plant, is that mescaline? It's, it's Huachuma mescaline. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, and it's legal to grow for those of you paying attention. <laughs> we can talk about where I dance, but, um, but, but, uh, even I realized like the, the orchids, my, my father would, would, would tend to, or the violets, my grandmother tended, you know, like that, those relationships, like I have a special relationship to those plants mm -hmm. because, um, they were part of my upgrading that, that, that connection was nurtured. That was the, you know, like, wow, like I didn't think about that. I had a better relationship with those plants simply because that was what was nurtured over time. And we would take those plants with us when we moved. So I had, a, you know, those potted plants, I strangely, you know, would have these relationships with, <laughs> you know, including that cactus who got moved to Washington and back and, and, even got in a car accident with me so like <laughs> and it's still thriving that's and impressive it's still thriving. as a matter of fact it just finished an, another flowering and it, it just made it's like having kids it's like oh my god you know because it doesn't yeah. flower all the time i was like that with my time. yucca plant when it flowered i'd be like oh my god i've never seen this flower before. i had it 15 years <laughs> yeah. right and and um and actually i've also given it menstrual blood too like you guys want to know how like blood meal that makes sense when you started talking about that i i, I didn't even flinch because i was like oh yeah that makes sense blood yeah, meal. yeah yeah and like and like and I was even thinking about this this morning, you know, because I mentioned we were mentioning that I was menstruating now, and I'm like, you know, and now I feel like oh, I'm like almost like I'm wasting some if I don't. <laughs> God, the amount of blood sometimes I shed, I really should. I'm gonna go get one of those little cups now. Maybe well, I have the cups. I don't always use them. You know, I don't either. And then I have the the pads too that you can like, uh, you know, soak and then you know squeeze and then use the water to anyway. But um. <laughs> We I have some plants that are sick right now. So yeah, next cycle, no, but, anyway. um, and, but, but just the idea of um, like, or doing intentional ceremony for seed planting like that, the, the, all the relationships and, and, and like, you can literally um, in terms of like little things you can do, like literally planting an intention with a seed. Mm -hmm. uh, this was mm -hmm. an idea that came from the, the workshop ceremony, um, I, I helped moderate at the psilocybin um, conference um, and the, the gal there who, who did that. Um, and I'm, I apologize for her. I don't remember her name right now. Names is a struggle for me, as you can't tell, but, um, um, and being able to, to watch that, literally watch the intention grow, you know, and that, and that we can enrich our lives so much, but everything that you can learn from plant medicines, whether you take them or not, a lot of these practices, even around like integration circles that really are a way to hold space for each other and, and really listen compassionately. And, and we could all do a better job of being in, in compassionate, loving community with each other. And if the plant medicines help you with that, then more power to you. Do you um, lead or guide people? to use plant medicine? 
Uh, I do. I don't talk about it much, but I do. Oh, do you not want to talk about it? No, I can. I'm, oh, I'm, okay. I'm, an, open, I'm an open book. Okay. Right. And, and I kind of trust that whatever conversation comes up um, is what's supposed to come up. Yeah. So are um, you, are you're someone that like, will help walk a person through a, a plant medicine journey? Yeah. I've, I've helped people through um, plant medicine journeys and, and, and done consulting. So like, usually like, if you see it on like my site, like I say, I'm, you know, I do psychedelic ethics. That's, you know, more primary and I do ethics advising, which is more primary, but um, in terms of coming to this space, I realized that, um, and I and I and I'm a double Reiki master too. So I was doing healing work related to that um, energy work, and I, I was kind of surprised, spiritually surprised, that I was led to do help for people with with these journeys, um, mainly because I had my own conceptions I had to get over about psychedelics and <laughs> I'm like well like, like I, I jokingly call it spiritual elitism like well you know you don't need that to be able to reach these sort of states or yeah. relationships um and to some extent that's true but another extent in terms of me being humbled by plant medicines and and others is that there's some um healing that can be really supported and that can be more profound and helpful, especially if you're resistant in particular ways and not that you have to be resistant to be able to, but like um, it opens you up for more profound healing and um, insights if you're, if you're willing to journey into those spaces. And it's a, it's a very, you know, that's why people talk about heroic journeys and things like that is that there is this sense of, of heroism of being willing to go within and, and look within and, and not just face your shadows, but, but also your light. Mm. And, and it's a really beautiful, it's the most um, humbling and honorable uh, thing that someone could have ever allowed me to do for them. You know, it's, it's like being witness to a childbirth and being present for someone during that experience. It, it's a real honor and a privilege. I don't do it often. Um, it is a demanding practice. And that's one of the things that I think about now in terms of the ethics of the space is that um, there aren't enough guides. And, and when I, I started serving more to what I call a, a psychedelic facilitator, whether it's like giving people, you know, just having someone that could feel like they could trust to give them some, some thoughts, right. You know, like, just like I do ethics advising, which some people call coaching or something like that, whether it's through a company or an individual, it's, it's to help them make their own choices. We are all always on a journey of our, our lives and our experiences and healing and transforming and growing and being able to help someone make any of those decisions I feel is a, is a privilege. And that turned out to include psychedelic plant medicines and, and mainly finding a way that I could talk about it. And I felt responsibility because I could and I was being led to. People were starting to show up who were actually already in state um, to me. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> it wasn't at first, it wasn't a choice. Um, <laughs> the you know, universe I, chose you though. <laughs> the universe chose me and in humility, I'm like, okay, I'm like, are you sure? You know, like, cause like, <laughs> um, uh, uh, and, and so I, I'm still very much in the curious space with it. It's like, where is that part going to go? But ethically speaking, like, um, I really do believe in the transformative aspects of this work, the healing aspects of this work. And I feel an obligation that if I can, I, I ought to, um, to, and especially in, in where I am in a decriminalized area, yeah. um, to, to not offer that. And, 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 
and and be in community and, and supportive. And it actually makes me a better ethicist in, in psychedelic ethics. To me, it's it's about being responsible in, in psychedelic ethics. I keep I keep joking because I wasn't I, I wouldn't say I was taking I wouldn't say I was a huge psychonaut before I really got involved in this space. But um, I really do feel that you need to experience the medicines in order to be able to um, uh, not only support the journeys, but also uh, I feel to really understand why people seek them and what what you're experiencing and, and to, to talk about it in a more ethical way. So I, I was joking for for with a friend that I'm like, well, I guess I'm gonna have to take a lot more drugs, you know, but I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then that's not that I have to in terms of I'm not going to be giving journeys and all those other sort of, I mean, like everyone has their specialties, I feel. Um, but, uh, but in the sense of being able to talk about like, you know, like I'm studying um, Amanita Muscaria with Amanita Dreamer through the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. And, and that's all part of Part of my psychedelic ethics research to be able to understand it like okay is this something people should be doing or not doing is this dangerous or not dangerous is that the sacred mushroom that john allegra wrote about in the 70s the red um, and white mushroom yes yeah okay yeah. yeah um and and it has a lot of ancestral traditions and 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 part of what led me to it in the beginning was uh trying to like reconnected to what may be my own ancestral traditions like okay since I'm disconnected to my own history and my own uh and I can't ask an elder from my lineage uh, or has the herbal or medicine or woman or man or whoever or shaw person um <laughs> um it's like well um you know I have Irish and Celtic and um lineage and such and I'm like well they had relationships with mushrooms and so it's like, well, maybe I should explore that. And um, only to realize that I've, I've had mushroom relationship my whole entire life, right? Um, <laughs> I just didn't think about it that way. It's like, I've been being taught the whole entire time that, and that the beauty of having been raised to be afraid of mushrooms even more explicitly than some um, is that it, it makes it me better suited in a lot of ways to help people through their own fears oh, about yeah. um mushrooms in particular but all psychedelics and and help and the ethics and the the philosophy help me to hold space for different ideas and allow people to experience what they want to experience not what i'm intending for them to experience and i think that's on the list of things that are ethical dangers in the space is that because we all come in with our own mindsets and intentions that that it always affects your experience yeah people, the, the stereotype line of set and setting um, sometimes people think set is just your intention but it's everything you bring to the table if you think of <laughs> if you think about setting a table <laughs> yeah the setting is like the place and where you do it in the environment but it's everything it's not just the intention it's everything you can it's the dieta it's like whatever food you consumed it's it's all the things you believe about yourself all your family experience your lineage everything that is you is yeah. is what you're bringing to the experience I used to tell people that, you know, um, it only brings out what's already within. Yeah. But we're not very good at knowing what's within. No, I think, yeah. Cause I think we're afraid of both the good and the bad that's within, right? Because like you had talked earlier about, you also discover the light within, not just the darkness, but I think a lot of us, I know this is true for me, discovering my own light within 
to a degree made me scared because I was like, oh, maybe I'm not living up to my fullest potential. And then what if I let myself down and I can't live up to the light that I see? And that can be like self-deprecating in itself. But then also coming face to face with your darkness, you have to be real honest with yourself about your potentiality. And again, a lot of people are like, I'm good right here with this little, little frame right here. This is me. I don't want to see what else could be me. And it's no, so how do we find more true. comfort and, in that? And I'll tell you the beauty of, of what you just said in part is that um, if you really want to know your light, you also have to know your shadow. And like, like the sort of yin yang symbol, right? Um, you know, uh, I, I, I sometimes try and explain like, okay, well, what, it, what, it, what do ethicists do? You know, it's like, why is it that, you know, well, how is it that you could be familiar with shadow? And I was contemplating this and I'm like, well, really um, ethicists, um, swim in gray waters dancing at the at the edge of darkness in the light and mm, and it's that's poetic oh thank you um but but it's true because it's it's the the parts of you that are the most beautiful and the most light are also the aspects that are your shadow like i i know that uh i happen to have be greatly empathetic and sensitive and compassionate it's it's partly how i came um it also was nourished as a feminine but it also is what i embraced um that love and compassion and community those are all very much in alignment with that but it comes with a shadow too the 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 greater i am and and more i delve into being loving and compassionate and, and towards community um the the shadow element of not receiving love, of, of not being open to it, of not also serving it in kind. That that that's the the shadow is in it literally is what you don't see. It's what's what's hidden through the through the light. Right. Um, there's a Zen Cohen that says, you know, you stand in your own shadow and you wonder why it's dark. Mm. You know, <laughs> and, and there's a real truth to that, you know, um, that like. Um, or, 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 or I'll tell my, my kids, you know, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses and, and like, you know, like both my kids are dyslexic neurodiverse and, uh, and my son is an exceptional dyslexic amongst dyslexics and that, that you could say like, well, that's a real disability, but it's because of his ability that it's there. He is incredibly gifted in terms of pattern thinking and visual perception. And um, like, you know, I'm sure if he decided to be an engineer or whatever, um, it's incredibly gifted in those things, but it happens to also have the reverse effect of not, not being able to um, code and decode words very well. And he's uh, about to turn 14 and he, he reads roughly at a first grade level. Yeah. And it's not because he hasn't tried, but I bet you he can listen at a college level. So there's always that. But this is the thing. This is exactly like the shadow and the light, the strength, weakness. It's it's. I think you know. Um, it's it's funny because like I I used to look for like well I was looking for that one thing I was going to be good at. You know, like that was like the sort of mindset you're going to raise up. It's like okay, like okay, figure that thing out. You know, go to Mm -hmm. school in it, become an expert in it. Um. And, and then, then focus on that. And that'll be your thing. I mean, I I didn't, I mean, psychedelic ethics is my thing, but I didn't, I didn't, didn't, it was a very long journey to get here. Um, um, And, and, and doing this work, I've like never been happier and never felt more aligned. And, um, but all of the parts to get here, it's like, you're never off path. 
right? Um, a lot of people talk about Joseph Campbell, right? And think about archetypes and the hero's journey or heroine's journey. Yeah. And um, and it, it, you hear the the line, "Follow your bliss," and and that's because uh, he was looking at Sat Chit Ananda, and he's like, "Well, I don't know what." Um, and that's part of what would mean in terms of a full consciousness awakening and, and things. And he's like, well, I don't know what, what right consciousness is. And I don't know what right being is, but I do know what my bliss is. And, and, and I'll follow my bliss. Mm. It's just like, and if you follow that path of bliss, you'll find that the path is, you've always been on path and the path has been with you all along. And it's I just look now you're starting to see the trees instead of the buildings. Yeah. Like you were mm. mentioning before about like, oh, you're into all these different things. It's like, well, um, like the the tarot and, and and whether it's tarot or like my delve into energy work or I also did work at a I also had a registered nursing assistant and did work at an adult family home for the family members and like um, you know even teaching at the university and all these different things that they all um, come together into what I'm doing now that um, because of like all my spiritual practices it makes me more able to be a part of the community that I'm trying to help represent and be a part of, um, as well as understanding psychedelics. And it's, it's, it is a spirit for me, it is a spiritual practice. It is a spiritual relationship, but, but in that sense, it's almost mute because all relationships are spiritual relationships to me. They really, I agree with you. They really are. I think everything is just spiritual and sacred and connected. And it's just like our goal to like, actually start to see it and then embrace yeah. it and then yeah. always engage it. No, I mean, like, uh, it, and it, and it takes time. I mean, like it, it is a beautiful, I mean, all of it is a beautiful journey. I mean, like, it's like that idea of like, you either think everything has meaning in the universe or you think nothing has meaning in the universe. You know, I think that was a reference to Einstein, but, um, but, it, and it really is that way. And I think, and I think we're starting to heal that aspect of ourselves, whether it's connection to nature, connection to spirituality, connection to each other. And, and realizing that how we've been doing things, at least in the West, hasn't been working for us. Yeah. yeah. And we like to think that it was. It was working to some extent, but like, you know, at least now where we're going and where, who we want to be, we don't, we don't want to use people merely as a mere means to an end, a la sort of Kantian, you know, like, you know, Kant, Kant argued for that for centuries ago, you know, or um, character-based ethics and like Aristotle or um, Confucianism or Buddhism or, you know, um, Lao Tzu, um, all these traditions had more about your character and who you were as a person, not, not about what you did uh, yeah. or having right relationship would turn into right action. Not, not the other way around. Yes. Yes. That, that is the foundation, right relationship. I think from there, everything else just kind of grows and nourishes into what it's supposed to blossoms into a big, beautiful fruit. Once we recognize that. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. I, I am so thankful that I came across you and <laughs> that you shared the space with me and shared all this wonderful information with the audience. Truly. Um, can we direct people to connect with you? How would you like to be reached if people have more information or just want to follow you or your work or what you're doing? Yeah, I, I suppose that like that's one of my grow areas is I'm not very good about self-promotion or like, you know, um, I'm um, not either. 
<laughs> I'm like, I do have a website. You can, you can, uh, the easiest thing to tell people is, is to look for ohanaforest.com just because it's easy to spell. My, my last name, Dreisbach, is hard to spell. And if I tell you to go to sandradreisbach.com or, but, but I pretty consistently show up like on Twitter, Instagram, and, and, and platforms as, as drsandradreisbach.com unless you're on like Discord and then I'm Heartfire Spirit. Heartfire Spirit? Yeah, Heartfire yeah. Spirit on Discord and, and Clubhouse. Uh, you know, Spirit. I have both. Yeah. I'm going to find you on you're the rare me. occasions oh, I use yeah. Discord. And- yeah, I'm, I'm still getting comfortable with being seen. That's part of my, my work. Um, and, and like you're saying about embracing your light, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to show up now. I'm trying to be more open. And, and I felt pretty convicted when I realized um, there weren't a lot of ethicists in this space not because that there has to be, but because, um, I could be of service Absolutely. and realizing that, um, more people need to be visible and be open and talk openly about, um, their psychedelic use and, and, uh, and work with plant medicines. And I didn't realize it was going to be my thing, but it, it certainly it's is. your thing. Yeah. It's my thing. It's your thing. <laughs> it's your thing. And we so celebrate happy. that. And I'm just it's really fun. So like, I, I'm willing to talk about everything. Like, you know, I, I, you know, and so I feel like now, like the more openly I talk about everything I do and, and what I'm doing, you know, um, someone's got to be willing to do it. And, and I know there's a lot of people in this space who are, but I'm like, heck, if like, if, a, if an ethicist isn't willing to do it, you know, that there's a real problem, you know? <laughs> well, I thank you for working on developing that state of being seen and, and, and honoring our audience with all that you had to share. So again, thank, thank you, you so much. Appreciate this. <laughs>